Champions cast here on ZeldaDungeon.net. My name is Andy Spateri, joined as always by the reigning queen of the Legend of Zelda, Alice and Aletha. Al, how you doing? How was your weekend? <laughs> how you been? Uh, super good. I've been vegging this weekend. I've been, um, I, I, I'm fortunately not sick, but I, I got exposed. So I've been quarantining all weekend and it works out because Pokemon Arceus oh, no. came out. So I was just like, this is fine. I'm totally down to quarantine and play Pokemon all weekend long. And yeah, so I'm having a good weekend despite things. Oh, so so you're uh, you you tested negative? Is that correct? Or? I I tested negative. Oh, that's but good. A person close to me tested positive, so I'm just right. being extra careful just in case. Right. And of course. like I said, it it worked fine because hey. <laughs> I get to sit at home and play Pokemon. <laughs> you know, so I so as I've told you, I'm working <laughs> on a secret project, right? And I'm hoping right. that it it's ready by the end of February. And I was just like, you know what? If I run into like a little bit of a time crunch, I'm just gonna tell people that I have COVID and stay home for like two weeks, and like no one's gonna <laughs> you know, be upset, right? You know what? I thought about that. You know, come Nintendo announces their next direct on Dude, a Tuesday or Wednesday. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Oh, I have <laughs> I have COVID, but it went away after a day, so uh, I'm good to go. <laughs> no, for for the Nintendo directs, I usually uh, um, I like I can watch them at work, and if it was just watching. Instead of, like, working them for Zelda Dungeon, I would just do that at work. But, like, since we're kind of, we're in the chats, we're writing articles and stuff like that. And then, like, you know, after a Nintendo Direct, you kind of want to come down a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, I, I usually, I just usually phone in and be like, dude, I got a migraine. I'm, I'm staying home today. And that's my yeah. Nintendo Direct uh, go-to. It works. I might have to start doing that. I don't know. Well, because, I mean, like, the Nintendo Directs come with, like absolutely no forewarning no no nothing they're just random and it's like hey in 24 hours we're gonna show you you know the next batch of uh, nintendo games so you know we'll see by the way it's uh i mean it's almost february it's uh as we record this it is the 30th yeah of january Seriously? so i mean like i think that we're not that far away from seeing something uh a nintendo direct wise um and potentially, Allison, Aletha, seeing Breath of the Wild 2. Uh, although, I, I bet against that, but you bet for it, so... I did, we'll so see. we'll see. I'm super excited. Uh, like I said, that... And, you know, this this upcoming one, I would definitely, like... Yeah, we joke about, like, saying, oh, I have COVID. But, like, I think I would take a day off and just oh, be like, yeah. I need this day. Um, this is a big deal in my mind. I feel like we're going to get like the first good chunk of news that we've seen in two plus years. So yeah, I'm going to take the day cause God, they just love to do it at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and it's just obnoxious. Yep. So, yep. Um, I can't remember what did, what did we end up betting? I don't know. I don't think we ever decided. I think we said we were going to have the people in the Discord decide. I see. And then <laughs> somebody said something, and we were both like, that's not like a punishment, you know? Right. So. Well, let me let me tell you something. Bragging Al. rights. <laughs> let me let me tell you why you're playing checkers and I'm playing chess, okay? Oh, God. Because this, this direct that's coming in February, or potentially maybe early March. I, I won't rule that out. Right. But this direct that's coming... Okay, so I bet against seeing Breath of the Wild 2. Now you tell me, if Breath of the Wild 2 does not show up at this Nintendo Direct, are you going to be disappointed? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I will be. Yeah. And not only are you going to be disappointed, 
But you're going to lose the bet. You're going to lose the bet and uh, be forced to do something nefarious that I have set into motion. But if I lose the bet, I'm still getting Breath of the Wild too. So I'm going to be like, all right, sweet. I'm I'm glad that I was wrong. And that, my friend, is called a checkmate. (laughs) This was me last year, though, when you were so so convinced it was going to be at E3. And I'm like, I'm going to keep my standards low. I'm going to be the smart one here. And you turned out to be right. So I'm like flipping it. And maybe that I've, you know, manifested it into the universe by now. So we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I didn't just use... Hopes and dreams, Allison. I oh. use science. Oh my god. Science is what guided me at E3 last year. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Um, Alright, let's get into it today uh, with uh, with our topic. And this is going to be a little bit of a, uh, a weird one almost. Because when we were researching this, we found out that there was a lot more, I don't know, different, different types of tropes and stuff like that that go into this series. But essentially what we are doing today... As we are giving you our favorite and least favorite reoccurring elements of the Legend of Zelda series. Now, originally, we were calling this show Reoccurring Tropes, but I don't know that everything that we found necessarily fits under the the classic definition of trope. So, we've gathered a bunch of, of different things that we do like, things that the Zelda series is you know quite keen to go back to over and over again and uh assemble that into into list form and we're gonna dissect and break down and talk about so the original idea was to have five that we liked five that we didn't like um i came up short on my ones that i didn't like i'm sure if i hear them i'll just be like yeah okay this this one isn't great but i, I only have four that i didn't like but i have seven that i do really like so maybe we can just kind of We'll pull like a what culture and, and do like the, the eight ups and five downs or whatever kind of thing. You know what I mean? I get that. Yeah, I'm the same where I have four that I didn't like. Um, and then I had five that I did like. And then I have some honorable mentions. So <laughs> maybe I'll just throw those into my do like list and yeah. call it what it is. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Um, okay. Well, why don't I get us kicked off here with... So when we, when we said this topic... The first thing that came to my mind was one thing that I love. I love when this shows up in a Zelda game. It shows up in almost every single 3D Zelda game. And every time I pop for it. And that is the Dead Man's Volley. I yes. I love this. I Why love didn't it. I think of that for my list? <laughs> this, was, this was actually the first thing that I thought of when I was thinking of this list. And I had a hard time kind of you know hunkering down and thinking of some other things but man the dead man's volley from like the classic phantom ganon battle in the forest temple to like the actual ganon battle and then it shows back up in uh in wind waker and then it shows back up in twilight princess with zelda this time which is really cool um Mm -hmm. i just like i i really love this and like i you know it's not like it's anything groundbreaking or, or new and like on in the if you look at it just in, like, the context of it, like, it seems kind of silly because you're just playing tennis with, you know, Ganondorf or whoever happens to be throwing this ball of light at you. But there is something, like, nostalgic about it for me where I'm just like, yeah, I remember doing this with, with Ganondorf on my N64. And so every time it shows up, uh, I I just, I love it. I love seeing it. Even, 
even the 2D version of the Dead Man's Volley, where it's not quite the same because you're not locked on, but, like, you have to hit the the orb or the ball of light back, and, like, it, it doesn't... It kind of goes in the right direction, and, and in 2D, you have to be a little bit more specific about where you hit it. Um, I think Minish Cap and Link's Awakening and Link to the Past do this. I, I think, actually, probably most of the games do this, but, yeah, I love the Dead Man's Volley. It's, it's a guilty pleasure of mine i know that some people don't like it because it's you know i mean it's it's just kind of popping up yeah it's like a ping pong thing but you know whatever i i love it i love the dead man's volley i do too um and just to piggyback off that everybody here knows that i love um you know the one particularly in wind waker when uh there's like reactive sounds when you're fighting phantom ganon and it makes me so sad that that fight is so short because i just love to just sit there and ping pong this energy blast back and forth with them because it's great sounds great looks great but i also really like it in you know like four swords uh, four swords adventures when you have like four people playing and the ball turns a specific color and that person has to go oh hit it. yeah like it's it's like chaos but i love it it makes it so much more fun and you get to rag on the people that miss it or <laughs> you know just kind of laugh when because it's uh, it's kind of horrible but it just makes it so much fun so i like that they like continually make it different throughout the games, you know, like it, there's always a cool new aspect to it that makes it interesting, even though it's a reoccurring element to these games. So yeah, that's a really good one. That That's why you're the queen of Zelda because you brought up four swords adventures and you're right. That might be the best dead man's volley in the series with the, with the multicolored like orbs and stuff like that. That is so fun. It's a lot of fun, even though, like, sometimes it sucks because you, you're like, you got a good thing going. You've got, like, three or four hits, and then and then all of a There's sudden, that one guy. somebody misses. Yeah, he's not paying attention. He's he's kind of looking around the room. He's, he's just, oh, it's my turn, and then he misses. And that one guy is usually me if we're playing together. <laughs> I usually miss, too, as well. So, yeah. And, you know, uh, Phantom Hourglass has a good one, too. You know what? Yes. It, yeah, it, it does. It could be a little bit painful, but it's a lot of fun as well. Well, that's what I mean. I think that most of the time it's it's pretty fun. And at this point, it's just like, okay, great. This is this is a dead man's volley and, and we can have some fun with it. So, yeah, I, I love this. This is immediately what I thought of when I thought of a Zelda trope. There you go. Um, okay, so I'll go with mine. I'll, I'll go with one of my favorites. Okay. And again, this isn't, I don't think this is a trope, so this is why it's a good element, I think, in Zelda games, is collectathons. I really, really like uh, collectathons in Zelda games. When The Wind Waker, when you have the, uh, you do the pictographs and you get the figurines, I think that's a really cool one because the figurines are very detailed and very cool looking. Um, I do like finding all the Korok seeds. I know that's a really, you know, sensitive topic <laughs> to people who play Breath of the Wild, but I actually really like it. I think it forces you to explore, like, every nook and cranny of Hyrule, and um, I like that, you know, up until about halfway through all those Korok seeds, you continue to, um, you know, improve your uh, inventory and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I love that. I think it's great. Um, all the skull tulas in uh, Ocarina of Time, but just like anything that has to do with going through and collecting, because I I love hundred percenting these games, and it's always fun to kind of do something away from the main quest, kind of give you a little break from saving the world a little bit, you know. So yeah. I actually really like collectathons. Yeah, I put that on my list actually as well. Um, that I just really like having like the hidden collectibles, you know, skull tulas or, or 
uh, Mimeis or Koroks or what, what have you. Are a good one. Even I guess like you could you could almost argue masks and Majora's Mask would fall under this yeah. criteria. Um, yeah, I, I just think that it like adds a certain you know replayability. It adds uh, an objective beyond the 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 main objective, which is to save the world or do whatever. Um, so I, I just kind of like having that. And and when I play video games too, I'm I'm like the guy that will go and and get like all of whatever like if i play a metroid game i'm getting every missile i'm getting every expansion you know so i i when i play a zelda game i'm much the same way where i'll go get all the gratitude crystals i'll go get all the my Mai i'll go get all like six bottles of majora's mask or whatever so i really i do like having that um that element in my zelda games although i think that one element and i didn't write this on my list but now that i'm thinking about it one element that's a negative to this is i feel like Ooh. often your final reward for collecting a lot of stuff isn't that great. Like, when you get all the school tulas in um, Ocarina of Time, you get, like, a, a gold rupee, which is pretty much completely worthless at that point since you can only yeah. hold 500 rupees in that game. And there's no way that you don't already have 500 rupees. You get the golden piece of poop in Breath of the Wild, which, I mean, you know, it, it's not like it serves a purpose other than kind of a, a stinky badge of honor. Um, yeah. you get, I, you get a kind of a cool reward when you collect all the gratitude crystals, but, um, you know, I, I don't know, like a lot of times you don't get anything in particular for, for doing all the kinstones and stuff like that in Minish Cap. So I, you know, I, I think that those end and rewards maybe are a little bit lackluster sometimes in the Zelda series. So maybe we should point um, that out as well. Yeah. I mean, for a second there, I thought you were going to say something that I have on my least favorite list, but we'll get there. But, uh, the one thing I could. I kept thinking when you were saying all that is that it's the journey, not the destination. That's true. Yeah, it is. True. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I have, I have a positive maybe to build off of this list and then we'll go into some negatives after. How about that? Because I feel okay. like this yeah. positive is, is almost the same thing, but not quite, but I love me a good trading sequence in my Zelda games. That's one of my favorite okay. tropes. Um, you know, if it's Ocarina of Time and you're, running mushrooms to Lake Hylia and you're doing your zip zap into Kakariko village or whatever. Um, if it is in Link's awakening where you got to go to Kohlin castle, then you got to get the, the dog food to give to the crocodile and, you know, go wake up the, the sleeping bear. If it is in, I, I just love a good training sequence. I just, to me, it kind of, um, it kind of like gives some of the NPCs a little bit more, personality and like it gives you reason and purpose to talk to these people um where maybe like if i feel like if you didn't have this extra curricular thing going on you know you'd probably never talk to the guy sitting in the woods in an ocarina of time right or like yeah. you you would never talk to uh the guy in the in the hut in uh by the beach in koholint so i just uh, I, I love me a good trading sequence and i feel like the rewards are usually pretty cool um, that you get from them not always but like pretty cool and like you said it's the journey but um yeah i just i kind of i like those trading sequences just because it gives you like we said with the collectibles it gives you something else to do but like in a more structured way that usually has like a really awesome designated reward like you get the goran sword you get the the boomerang like you usually get some pretty good stuff from these trading sequences so uh yeah i i like them because it's another way to flesh out the game but I think what differentiates this for for me 
from you know just having that one common collectible is that this instance with trading sequences you actually get to interact a little bit more with the characters which i feel like gives them a little bit more meaning gives them not necessarily more personality because i mean most of them just have this thing that they want to give you and then trade it away and you know you're done but at least you can be like hey i remember that guy in Koholint, or i remember the guy in the lost woods or whatever and, and whatever so yeah trading sequences i feel like are a proud tradition in zelda and and i feel like that was something that i kind of missed in in breath of the wild because i can't think of a good trading sequence in that game off the top of my head um, yeah, I think we were saying that when we were uh, talking about, like, elements we want in Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah, and we that's both right. said we wanted a trading sequence because that world is so big that it would be so much fun to kind of figure out who the heck needs what and, like, the different things that would pop up from it. Right. Um, I, I totally agree with this one, and it's awesome because this is a perfect seg- segue into one of my negatives, um, so I'll get there in a second. But I wanted to add that... Uh, the re- the reason why trading is also fun is like there's such oddball items, you know, like you have your regular items in inventory with throughout Zelda games, and then you get into a trading sequence, and <laughs> like I can't remember if it was seasons or age- I think it was ages, but you had like somebody gave you like the suspicious bag of some smelly substance, and you're like, there's totally poo in here. Like, yep. <laughs> and it's just like really odd items that you have in your inventory while you're trading, and I think that makes it kind of goofy and fun. And again, it kind of takes away from the main quest. You get to have a nice little break and interact more with uh, other things besides the main story that you're following. So I agree with that. Yeah. Um, the reason this is a good segue into one of my negatives, my least favorite elements, is because as much as I love collectathons, I hate mandatory collectathons. So that's what I put on my list. Something like uh, whatever that island is called in ages. Tokay Island. Tokay Island. Um, getting the Song of the Hero and Skyward Sword. Getting the Triforce shards in Wind Waker. I don't like that stuff because it's such a huge... I mean, we were griping about it last week. It's a huge momentum killer to the game. Yes, we do want to break from, you know, the main quest, and it's nice to go and do, like, the collectathons that are totally optional. You don't have to do them. But when it's, like, mandatory to progress the story, it's just... It's it's such a slog. It's annoying. I yeah. hope that makes sense to others. <laughs> well, no, it, it, I mean, it does. Um, like, I'm I'm going to go back to my Link's Awakening um, example, because you, you do have to complete the, uh, the trading sequence in that game to an extent. Like, to an extent. You have to get the... Uh, I think you have to get up to the third or fourth uh, trading item to get into um, the oh, castle yeah. in that okay. game. Which yeah. is, like... Which is manageable, but I, I'm thinking, like, imagine if you had to do everything to get that, which I, I think I can get behind that as well. Like, Tokay Island, I feel like it's not quite a trading sequence, or it, it's not quite a collectathon either, but it's somewhere in the middle of both. And that is, like, awful, I feel like. That's an awful feeling. So, yeah, I think I can, I can get behind what you're saying there. By the way, um, I had a thought while we were talking about trading sequences in Breath of the Wild... I wonder if like if like side quests that that we saw in Breath of the Wild are are not a replacement for but in some ways I guess a replacement for um a trading sequence because he, you know in in side quests in Breath of the Wild you you do things like there's there's lots of elements that are similar where like you maybe have to take one thing to someone and then you 
collect something and bring it to someone else. And like, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's, I'm sure that there could be room for both of them, but I was just thinking a lot of the similar properties or elements of a, of a trading sequence are just present in everyday side quests in Breath of the Wild. I guess, I but I, I, I don't think it's quite enough, I guess. I, I, would I agree. want it to be a long sequence. Yeah. And to have people from all over, you know, that whole of Hyrule, to, it, I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, okay, let me, uh, let me go over to one of my least favorite um, tropes here for a second. So I am not in love. And this is hard because I feel like when I was picking least favorite tropes, I'm just like... Maybe I'm just, like, so blinded by love for The Legend of Zelda that it's right? just, like, it's hard for me. By the way, when we when we asked our, our community to come up with their least favorite dungeons like we did last week, everybody had a hard time with it. Everybody. Right. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard. It's, like, being, it, it's so much easier to, like, point to something that you really love and have positive emotion with and say, like, this is my favorite and that's why versus something that you're indifferent towards or, or maybe whatever. But yeah, a lot of people had a hard time with that. And all that is to say that I had a hard time picking my least favorite for this week as well. But here I go. I do not like, and this used to be a trope and it's not anymore. And I don't like that it isn't a trope. I really, really loved in Zelda 1, Adventure of Link, Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time. I love those gold boxes. I love, like, the, the box art. Like, I just liked having... You could have the picture there, but it was oh, kind of faded yeah. out. And the, the box was gold. Like, the Wind Waker had this. And then you got Twilight Princess, which has, like, the, the wolf and Link on it. And it's like, eh. And then you get Breath of the Wild, which just has the backdrop. And it's like, eh. But then you have Skyward Sword, which has, like, the cool golden background. It's like, this, this just looks classy. It looks nice. Um, it seems like they kind of do this, like, hit and miss in the series. Like... A Link Between Worlds didn't have it. Phantom Hourglass, I think. Does Phantom Hourglass have a gold box? I can't remember. Ooh, that. I wanted is a to say no, question. but I almost feel like it does. Um, I know Spirit Tracks doesn't, but I just I really loved that classy look where it's like you can have the picture, but it's like faded, and then it's just like a golden hue in the background. Yeah. You know, I think the one exception to this is I think the Majora's Mask box looks awesome with like the uh, the darker colors and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah I, I really love the the classic golden box art and they don't do that anymore. And it makes me kind of sad because for everything that Breath of the Wild does amazing. And I mean, frankly, that's almost everything that that game does. I think it's box art is kind of like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I would kind of equate that to like, you know, timelessness and fantasy. That's probably, you know, like a big reason why they did that, that whole image in my brain just screams fantasy so i and i you know if they move away from that because we're going more open world i mean i can i mean i kind of see that some of the some of the like official art that they have for like uh for for marketing breath of the wild was really really stunning but i kind of get what you're saying like if they move away from it it might be a little sad <laughs> well okay hold on close your eyes okay and picture this okay. Breath of the Wild, the Switch box art, it's gold, okay? You have the, the Zelda logo, and it's, like, it's pretty big. It's taking up, uh, let's say, the centerpiece of it, and maybe the, the middle-high centerpiece, okay? You have the same logo as as is right now, but let's just say that in a darker golden color at the bottom, 
is a giant like silent princess and you can kind of see the horizon in the background but it's faded and it's gold and it looks awesome that's a classy box art like i i feel like i feel like it no matter what like you can you can bring that box art back so yeah that's uh that's my old man yelling at clouds critique. i'm curious to see what they're gonna do with breath of the wild too because i i mean i imagine it's probably gonna be something with the sky I think so. You know? Yeah. So maybe they could do something with that, with like a faded kind of gold on the edges with the sky, like Link falling. That'd be kind of cool. Well, I think that since we didn't get this kind of box art presentation for Breath of the Wild, that we're not going to get it for Breath of the Wild 2, you know? Oh, you know what? Even if, even if there's like a downloadable um, box art, or like, let's say that they had like a, you know how some games have like the the special edition or the premium edition when it launches? Yeah. that has a different box cover. Let's do that. You know, like I'll, I want that that box art. So, yeah, that's that's mine. I don't. That's it's, definitely not a trope, but it's a it's a thing that used to happen, and it doesn't happen anymore, and it makes me sad. Gotcha. So that was your negative that it doesn't happen anymore. That's my negative. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll move back to positive then. This was one of the first things I uh, thought about when we were making this list because it's definitely a trope. And I believe you have it on your list as well. But almost every game there is in the series is Link being woken up or waking up. And I always, you know, it's a really easy equation of the the hero awakening to start his journey. And I think that's such a cool element to the Zelda games because it's always, he's always like ragged on for being sleepy and lazy all the time at the beginning of games and then becomes the hero by the end. But it's just kind of a fun thing because it, it like it's a good introduction into this world. Like you're waking up and you become a part of this world through your avatar link. So I, I've always really liked that and I hope they continue that going forward. I'm not sure how they would, you know, make that for Breath of the Wild too, because Breath of the Wild, he woke up in the Shrine of Resurrection, had been asleep for a hundred years. Like that's a pretty significant awakening. This one maybe I can imagine like Z- him and Zelda are adventuring together, and she like kind of jogs him awake to keep. That's going not what on I thought adventure. you were about to say. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, I have that on my list too. I love that. It's just like it's so classic, right? Like, yeah. You got this guy. He's just snoozing. He's this. Uh, he's this everyman. He's this unsuspecting guy who just he likes to sleep in. He likes to to catch those Z's and. All of a sudden, he's got to wake up and save the world. And I think that that's fantastic. And you see it, yeah, you see it in different ways. Like, Ocarina of Time, <laughs> the Navi is just pounding him to get up. Skyward Sword, <laughs> when the Loftwing spits the mail right in his face and it just falls <laughs> yeah, on the floor, which is classic. But, like you said, you can also have it a little bit more serious, too, where Breath of the Wild, this dude is, you know, he's sleeping, but he might as well be dead, right? Like, he's in the Shrine of Resurrection. I could totally see Breath of the Wild 2 kicking off with, like, Link just asleep under a under a tree by a campfire or something like that, and that's how the game starts. And it it could be as simple as that. Yeah, it's just like a it's a great running gag almost at this point, um, more so than like a trope. And it's yeah, it's something that I just feel like is it, it like it's been there for so long that like you you have to have it now, and it doesn't yeah. have to be overly complicated. Doesn't have, like what I just laid out where he could be he could be sleeping under a tree and then wake up and then like Zelda's like, all right, now that we're rested, we go into the cave and find that corpse that it could be as simple as that. I just, I, yeah, Yeah. I feel like this is a, a great tradition. It's a celebrated tradition. 
and one that should uh, absolutely continue because yeah there's there's no better there's no better like feeling than booting up a Zelda game and then you start off with Link and he's just dead to the world he's snoozing he's having a dream <laughs> yeah great great stuff it's great it's good um okay I will uh let's see so I do a negative or a positive here I'll do a positive okay um okay so one of my most favorite things about uh, the Zelda series, and this is a reoccurring trope, and I feel like Zelda does this very, very well, and which is funny because it, it actually does this all the time. But one of the things that I love about Zelda is how it presents mirror worlds. And you can see that in, I mean, almost every, maybe not every game, but like tons and tons of games where you go from Hyrule to the Dark World, or Hyrule to Low Rule, or you go from, you know, even the adult timeline to child timeline in Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Um, even you could you could really stretch that out more so and, and go, like, from the sky to the ground in Skyward Sword. But, uh, you know, you see that in, in Minish Cap, where you go from the big world to the small Minish world, where you go yeah. from Labrinia to, you know, the past, where you go from winter to fall to whatever i think that zelda is like really 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 good at presenting these mirror worlds and these like different versions of the same world that you know and it's really good at doing that and letting you change something in the one world and having that inform the other world which makes up like a big part of a lot of the puzzles that that zelda does so i i think that that's a trope that Zelda has went back to a lot, um, but it usually does it in a way that allows it to be fresh and interesting. Um, and it's not just like time travel and stuff like that. Like I mentioned, it's a mirror world doesn't have to be like a dark version of the same reality. It can be like the same world just from a different perspective. So I, I think that the series does this really well. Um, and it's something that I think, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna play a big part actually in Breath of the Wild too. I can feel it. So yeah, I, I this is one of my favorite tropes. I think that it presents a lot of interesting gameplay mechanics. I think it presents like a, a cool kind of thematic um, opportunity where like you have these different worlds and stuff like that, and you can have different I don't know themes and ideologies kind of clashing and stuff like that. It's just a formula for good storytelling. Um, you can create a lot of like compelling characters and antagonists that way. So yeah, this is a favorite theme of mine for sure. I like it. I like that one. Um, I I especially like it when it it has to do with puzzles, and I think mostly of a link uh, to the past and a link between worlds and ages too as well. Um, when you have to like, you you see maybe a raised cliff and you're like, how the heck do I get to that? But in a link between worlds, you're like, okay, if I go through this uh you know wall portal and come out the other side, I will be up there on that cliff in laurel and then i you know what i mean so i love that it makes you kind of think about how to solve puzzles and makes you feel like a total genius when you figure it out i love that those mirror worlds kind of let you do that yeah so it makes it a lot of fun and creative uh you know makes for creative gameplay um all right Um, take it away let's let's go with a negative on mine one of my least favorite um I feel like a lot of people might feel this way about this one. I said puppet villains. So Zant, Girahim, 
maybe Yuga to an extent. Um, I just I have a hard time with having a villain be there for the entirety, almost the entirety of the game. And they're compelling and they're interesting. This is why I said Yuga to an extent because I know not a lot of people like him, but I do. Um, you know, Girahim is such a cool villain. He's just so outlandish and just so extra and just super interesting. Zant is super compelling, his story, and he's just terrifying at first. But then, in the end, it's just all for Ganondorf. It's all for Demise. It's all for uh, Ganon, Hilda, Yuga mixture or whatever. So, it kind of gets frustrating because one of the tropes I do like that I'll talk about later is I do like the reoccurring thing about Ganon, but it gets really obnoxious when you do have a really cool villain already in the game and they don't get to stay there and be the villain for the game. Yeah, okay. I can see that. Um, I don't know... Let's see. I don't know that I would say that I like absolutely hate it, but I do think that it does take away from... I thought that it took away from Zant more than maybe the others that you mentioned. Um, because I feel like Zant was a very cool character and a very compelling character and probably could have just been the game's final villain. Or they could have foreshadowed and built up to that Ganondorf moment a little bit better. But I just... It, it wasn't like... It wasn't done in a way that I thought was like smooth, let's just say. Um... For Girahim, I think that I agree, but to a lesser extent, because I think that through, with Girahim, at least, he, he basically says throughout the entirety of the game that his mission is to revive his master. Right. So yeah, right. It, it doesn't come as out of nowhere as it does in Twilight Princess. So I, I think that that one for me is a little bit easier to swallow. And it, and it does... I, I feel like with Twilight Princess, Ganondorf kind of cannibalizes Zant a little bit in order to make Ganondorf, like, really cool. Whereas Demise, I feel like, doesn't do that necessarily with Girahim because when you look at Girahim, in a way, he actually is almost one because he fulfilled his goal and summoned his master and stuff like that, and you just happen to beat Demise. So I, I feel like that one I'm, I'm more okay with. Yuga, uh, I think you're also right, but I, I'm a little bit forgiving of that one as well. One... Because I didn't think that Yuga was a particularly compelling villain, um, at least at least not in like the same way as Hilda could have been if they would have really went full bore with that. And then mm -hmm. two, because he like, I feel like the the Yuganon thing kind of made a little bit more sense in the context of the story, where like he summoned him and then it, you know kind of went wrong. But I I do feel you with Zant in particular. I feel like Zant was one that did suffer from having Ganondorf you know, show up and be the bad guy. Even though I, I like Ganondorf being in Twilight Princess, but I, I do think that Zant could have been, like, a really top-tier, like, villain in the series. Like, maybe in the mm -hmm. same category as, as Skull Kid and Majora's Mask, and he just, he didn't quite get there. And, yeah, I think it probably is because, you know, Ganondorf kind of showed up, and to use a wrestling term, Allison, all the heat went from Zant to, to Ganondorf. So you watched yeah. you watched wrestling yesterday, didn't you? I did. I watched Royal Rumble. <laughs> the Royal Rumble yesterday was probably the worst Royal Rumble I've seen in like oh no a, a long time. It was really bad. Oh bummer. It was really bad. Uh, both of them actually, because there was a men's and a women's Royal Rumble, and both of them were bad. But that is uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I uh, I think that uh, I think that I kind of agree with you. Um, I you kind of see this also in Wind Waker, but like. 
you know, at that point, the main villain of the game is the Helmarok King. So I think you definitely needed someone controlling the Helmarok King. So that's good. Yeah, that's a little different. I just, I I think more so that there's a villain throughout the majority of the game. And then it's, it's the big bad is Ganondorf. So it just kind of feels like, oh, okay, well, I was kind of expecting this guy once I beat him to be, you know, that's how I win the game. So it's just kind of, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, but I, I think maybe I'm just making excuses here for Skyward Sword, but <laughs> I, I do think that it's a lot easier to swallow in that game versus Twilight Princess when yeah. Zant, I mean, I get, Zant I is like exactly. very much discarded in that game. Yeah, I get exactly what you're saying. Zant, he, you know, he used the Ganondorf's power to get what he wanted, but he had no, you know, he had no reason, like, he didn't want to bring back Ganondorf or anything. Whereas right. Garyheim wanted to bring Demise, Yuga wanted to bring Ganon. Like, I totally get that. But at the same time, it's just like, ugh. You know who I can't help but notice that you did not mention in this uh, analogy is our I... boy Astard from Age of Calamity, who likewise oh, was... I just... <laughs> <laughs> I've completely brain-dumped Astard since... <laughs> Since I stopped playing Age of Calamity, so he just doesn't even register on my mind anymore. Too bad, too bad that uh, that our boy. That wasn't had to even go disappointing. Like that. that wasn't even like, oh, I really like this villain, but he, here comes Calamity. That wasn't even like that. In well, the yeah. Status. I mean, with Aster, you're just like, God, I want anybody else to be the villain here. Like, <laughs> Ganon, please come back. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll I'll take God. I'll take. Uh, Twin Rova or something at this point, bickering for for ten hours over Aster. That guy was the worst. <laughs> All right, let me get to a negative on my list, which is somewhat similar to your list, and I feel like uh, there's probably no surprises here that this is on my list. But here we go. I hate. This is the one thing that I don't like at all, and this was easy to pick out. I hate having to refight bosses in the final castle. Oh, yeah. Okay. I hate it. It sucks. I feel like it's just, like, it's not very creative, first and foremost. It's just an easy thing to do. You can just, oh, I, what do we do? I know, refight these old bosses. So it's not creative. I feel like it takes away from the original fight. Um, It's just, it's just I, I hate it. Like, I hate getting to that castle in the Wind Waker, and you have to fight all four bosses again. It's like, God, I've already done this. Um, I'm sure that it happens in other games, but Wind Waker specifically is what I was thinking of. Um, (laughs) But I know that, I think it happens in Link Between Worlds as well, where you have to fight all of the old bosses, and it's just like such a, it's just like such a creatively bankrupt idea, you know? I I don't know, it just feels lazy to me, copy and paste it. Um, Now, I don't mind having a boss rush mode. Like, Skyward Sword, I feel like, has a a very exceptional boss rush mode where you can go and fight the bosses and, and get rewards and all that good stuff. But that's optional. You don't have to do that, especially not in your final in your final dungeon. Now, also, on that same token, I maybe I should just upgrade this to, like, I just, like, don't really like refighting bosses because I've ragged on this in Skyward Sword where, like, you fight Gearheim once, twice, three times in that game, which I'm just like, come on, this is enough. Um, Fire Sanctuary, I feel like, really suffers because of that. And I know that you disagree, but I just, I, I don't like fighting Gearheim in the Fire Sanctuary at all, because you fight him again, like, almost right after that. But 
yeah, there's something about getting to like the final castle, and it's imagine imagine if you got to the final castle in Ocarina of Time, and instead of all the cool little rooms that you have, it's just like, all right, well we're gonna fight Bongo Bongo again. Uh, who else can we throw in here? Um, all right, let's get <laughs> Goma in here. Goma's a good one. Um, let's see, G and like imagine if it was just that, and it's just like. I don't yeah, that know. Would suck. It, that would you know suck. what? You know what that would be. As my father would always say, that is a fart in church. Oh my god! <laughs> Lame. So yeah, that's one of my least favorite tropes that the Zelda series does. Um, I, I'm, I'm mostly thinking of Wind Waker. I'm, I'm don't mean to pick on Wind Waker because I know that Link Between Worlds and other games do this too. But with Wind Waker, I just feel like it's very egregious and it's very just in your face and maybe that's because i think wind waker doesn't have really good bosses i don't know yeah don't yeah, like that i mean i understand the feeling i get it i don't um i'm really indifferent about it uh when i when i'm speedrunning wind waker it's pretty annoying because like there's parts of me that's like okay i can do this so much better now than i did the first time around or i'm trying to like in my head trying to like accomplish a record of how fast I can beat Calidamos or whatever. You know what I mean? So like it kind of makes it fun in that way, but I'm just trying to beat Ganondorf at this point. Like I've already been playing for six hours. I'm over this game. You know, <laughs> I don't right. need to fight these bosses again. So I get that. I get it. It's yeah, it's kind of annoying and it, it is lazy. They did it really well in Ocarina of Time where instead of doing that, you just do kind of air areas that are similar to the dungeons that you did. You know, and it made sense, and it was great. So I get that feeling totally. Yep, and uh, um, I'm I have hope that uh, this trope has reared its ugly head for the last time, but I I don't know. Um, let's go to one of my favorite tropes, and it's not I don't I could only think of like one major example and two minor, maybe one minor and maybe one that's kind of like iffy. So you may remember more than I do, and I hope that they continue to do this because it's kind of rare, but I love it. And it's the enemies slash rivals to friends. And, you know, the biggest example is obviously Groose. He's your biggest rival bully on Skyloft. But by the end, you know, you have worked together with him, and he actually played a super integral part of saving everybody. You right. know, if he wasn't there, you wouldn't have succeeded. So I, I really like, and you get to see his character development throughout that too. You kind of get to see it with Mido, you know, like he's blocking your way and he's your little rival and he doesn't yeah. like you and you don't have a fairy. But then you come back and he's like, he's like, oh, you kind of remind me of that kid. I hope he's okay. You know, kind of. So you kind of get that feeling with him, but not really. And then I was thinking of Ralph too. He's kind of a little bit rivally. Like he right. wants to be the one to save everybody, but he just can't. <laughs> Poor Ralph. <laughs> I, I was thinking of Ralph. I'm, I'm thinking of Rivali in a way. Oh, uh, Rivali. Yep, that's a good one. And I mean, he still like pretty stubbornly remains your rival. Like he yeah. just cannot accept you whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I just I would like it to continue. Maybe like develop beyond Rivali because I, I like Rivali, but I know it's not the best for everybody. They don't really like him. Um, I'd like to see somebody pop up in. Breath of the Wild 2 or the next, you know, big line Zelda game where you kind of have that person that to join your journey throughout the game. Because I make, I think it makes it more interesting, more compelling story. Um, and it's more than just you kind of like being on your own, saving the world. Right. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I think I agree with that too. I like I, I like that uh, that character arc that they do. I think Bruce is obviously the the best example of that. But yeah, you could. Yeah, I mean, even really, you could say Midna maybe falls into that category. Yeah, um, I definitely about Ralph. That too. Definitely Rivali. Um, I have one to build off that, but it's actually a negative. Okay. But maybe it maybe it's also turning into a positive because the last two main games in the series haven't done this. But I think that. I don't. I, I shouldn't say. I want to make sure I word this properly because it's not that I don't like it. It's just that I'm tired of it and I want to move away from it. But having a singular companion join you on your journey, I feel like for Ocarina of Time, having Navi was perfect. I feel like having the King of Red Lions was was fine. I feel like having Midna was fine. Having Fee was fine. But I think it's time to move away from that. Um, I, I think that it's just a little bit overdone and those games are, are great, but let's just think of something new. And I, I kind of use Breath of the Wild as a good example because I, I think that you should have like some companionship, but maybe not just like that one thing that's with you for the entirety of the game. So in my, in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, Breath of the Wild, you kind of, in a way have five companions because you've got all the champions and their abilities and you've got Zelda who is sending you these telepathic messages. Now, I don't think that those, like, I don't think that that's very well fleshed out. Like, I, I think that, like, maybe what I would have done and what you still could do in Breath of the Wild 2 if you want to find a way to include the champions in that game, which I think they're going to, but maybe you could get, like, let's say Mipha's Grace, for example, and, like, you have the spirit of Mipha with you so, like, she can talk to you or something like that or, or like Rivali could talk to you or, or, or whatever right like these guys can like maybe say something to you other than like Daruk's protection is ready to roll um, yeah they, and they can be your companions in a sense I think that that could be an interesting way to get them back into Breath of the Wild 2 because I, I just have a hard time imagining them not being in that game even though they're dead uh, so, so maybe that could be the way but also just like a I don't know, a more interesting way other than just like that singular companion for Link. Because I think that that had its time in the sun and now it's time to move on and, and do something different. Um, So kind of like kind of like Saria when you play her song and she talks to you a little bit. Maybe? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, that, I, I, that could be a, a good example, actually. Maybe like you can maybe when you use these powers or something, they can give you their advice. I, I don't know, but something like that. Yeah, I think that could totally work. I know that um, with the Champions Ballad, after you do, like, the mirror, or I guess not mirror, like, nightmare kind of, uh, dub, like, you fight the bosses again, you can go to the Divine Beast and talk to them a little bit, and they do have quite a bit of dialogue, like, that's different than normal, and so that was kind of nice, but you still have to, like, go there and talk to them that way, instead of just being on your journey and being able to, maybe you have, like, this little figurine of varuta and you like hold it and you're able to talk to right. Lisa that way or something i don't know um but that makes me kind of sad because i actually had companions on my favorite tropes because i actually really like it it just it's very um comforting i understand what you're saying that it's kind of like it's we've we've done it you know and maybe we don't need to keep doing it but i i like it because it builds a story you know it builds a companionship you have somebody to be with you on your adventure i especially love when it's like rocky at first 
Navi, Fi, Midna, where they're not very like secure in your skills and that kind of stuff, but you grow together as a team and like mm-hmm. become super strong, have a super strong relationship with them. I really love that. It's just it's just good wholesome content for me so i wouldn't mind having that in future zelda games well so i i, I agree get what you're saying like you want something new and different but i i'm okay with same old in that regard <laughs> well it, and that's why i kind of wanted to choose my words a little bit carefully because it, it's not like i want link to be by himself for like the entirety of the game i i don't i i do like forging those connections with like your Navis or your Midnas or your Zeldas and Spirit Tracks or whatever. But I, I think that it can evolve beyond what it's been. So that's why I said a singular companion. Because I do think that there could be an opportunity where, like, maybe you do have... <laughs> imagine imagine it's like a group chat going on in your Sheikah Slate or something like that, right? Where, like, <laughs> That'd be great. Revali could chime in or Mifa could chime in. And, like, I'm not talking them... I'm not talking that you hear them all the time throughout the game, but... Um, you know, let me throw an example at you here, Al. Have you ever played uh, Batman Arkham Knights? No. Okay. So, I'm going to... If you never played the Arkham games, spoiler alert here. Um, are you ever going to play these games? No. Okay. So, in Batman Arkham Asylum, the Joker dies at the end of the game, right? And, and he's dead, and he's gone. And in Batman Arkham Knights, um, he is brought back because Batman is dosed with the scarecrow's fear gas so batman sees these like hallucinations of the joker talking to him at key points in the game now perhaps you could do something similar in breath of the wild 2 where i don't know let's say whatever is going on with link's arm causes him to have these mental projections of like the champions and he he can talk to them and maybe or like you know what you know when you've seen a movie and like someone's about to die and then they see a flashback of like an important character and the character's like you gotta get up and keep going right like maybe it could be something like that where like you do have a companion there is someone present it's just in a different kind of a context so yeah what if what if i just have this thought but i read a book once where someone did something to the main character's arm and you know she kind of had it with her it didn't really talk to her but it had an eye so she, like, always thought that they were looking at her. What if something with Link's arm, like, like we're saying that it's going to get, you know, jacked up from the malice, but it also has, like, the, the green stuff going on. So whatever holds the power of that green stuff, maybe they kind of help Link and keep it from really, like, just destroying him completely. And then they have some of their power imbued in him and are able to talk to him through his arm, which would be weird, but it would be kind of cool, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I don't know. I'd be down for that. Like, <laughs> wacky idea thrown out there, but well, totally so hold on. I said the arm had an eye. Uh, yeah, in the book, it had an eye on on the hand. Like a tattoo, or is this like an eyeball? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like a tattoo. Yeah. Well, that makes much and, more sense. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it was a weird. I, it's been a while since I read that book. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm down for ideas like that. I, I, I just, I just think that there's an interesting and new and fresh and different way to spin the whole companion thing. And maybe what I'm talking about sounds ludicrous, but, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I would just be, you know, Breath of the Wild was so revolutionary and did away with so many Zelda tropes that, while I do want to see some come back, I, I want to see others come back, but in an updated way that fits with yeah. what Breath of the Wild did. 
yeah, is totally maybe fair. what I'm trying to say. Um, all right. I have got a positive one. Speaking of things that Breath of the Wild didn't, didn't necessarily do, but did do in kind of a more modern way. But I love me a good intro dungeon. Like that dungeon that you just do like in the first hour of the game and it teaches you the mechanics and it's like simple but fun. I love this. And I think that the games that don't have this dungeon really suffer for it. So like um, Majora's Mask or Twilight Princess or even like even Skyward Sword. Like you, it takes a while to get to that first dungeon. And you, you do have things that you do in the games that kind of serve as a substitute to that where like you go in the twilight realm in twilight princess or you do the first cycle in clock town and majora's mask but there's something just wholesome to me about starting your game and then within like 20 minutes you're inside the great deku tree you know and breath of the wild did this in a very cool way that we've talked about before on the show where essentially the great plateau is your intro dungeon you have the four shrines you're kind of running around doing your thing it teaches you what you need to know about the game and I hope that this returns for Breath of the Wild 2 in some form or fashion. Yeah, I, I agree. I really like the, uh, I call it tutorial plateau. <laughs> I thought it was a good way to introduce you to what you're going to be doing for the rest of the game. And I, yeah, I enjoy that element in Zelda as well. Um, I, I am not sure how they would bring it about in Breath of the Wild 2, but we'll have to see. This is a good segue into one of the things that I don't like, though, and it's the um, the kind of hand-holding that we've seen throughout the Zelda series when it comes to uh, tutorials and repetitive, uh, what am I thinking of, what, uh, like repetitive things that you have to do in the game um, that you've done in a previous game or what, you know, you, things you've already know. I understand that they have to have tutorials for newcoming players or if buttons get changed around or whatever. I get that. But I really like it to be an option where you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, I already know how to do that. I, I, right. I got you. I don't need you to tell me how to do that. I don't need you to make me do that because there are games that make you. Like my biggest one that I can think of is Skyward Sword when uh, I think it's Aulon. He's up on the top of the building and he's like, L target and talk to me. And you're like, okay, I know how to do that. And you start walking away. He's like, no, L target and talk to me. You can't continue without doing it. You know what oh, I mean? Dude, when when all those kids are like, Link, show me your slingshot. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Twilight Princess. Yeah, so that's kind of like the hand-holding, making you actually go through a tutorial when you do know what you're doing. I get it. Having the tutorial there is important. For newcomers and I want it to continue to be there because I definitely needed it in Breath of the Wild where there were so many new buttons there's so many new things that I had to do I get that but I would really like the option to skip it if I'd like to like if if Breath of the Wild 2 has a lot of the similar lot of similar button placements and elements that you're using I don't need Zelda to sit here and train me for an hour on how to do that I could be like no Zelda I already know what I'm doing Right. And she'd be like, all right, cool, let's go. You know what I mean? Well, I think that a lot of games of Zelda past, some of them have not struck this balance, but there have been games that like have a dojo or something like that that you can go yeah. to if you want to read up on how to do certain things if you're an inexperienced player, um, but you don't have to. And I think that's the right balance. And frankly, just for like the more modernized Breath of the Wild or Breath of the Wild 2, just like have that in the menu, right? Like yeah. have a tutorial somewhere. If you press start, or select or something like that you can go down and 
go to your tutorials and you know the advantage that breath of the wild has too is like in during loading screens it can just tell you a lot of this stuff as well right um so i i think that that trope fortunately for us is probably done and and gone um as far as modern zeldas but yeah i I agree i think that like having to do you know a lot of that stuff is just kind of like uh especially if you're like replaying it for like the third or fourth or fifth or 20th time it's like all right buddy i know how to vertical slash here yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, I've got uh, another positive, and I think this is the last one on my list. But I am a big fan of how the Zelda series reuses names and in in both renaming things, places, and people, but doesn't really get caught up in the particulars of how this is possible. And so what I mean by that is, like, in Breath of the Wild, for example, there are so many... Just like Easter egg places that are named after. I mean, you've got islands named after the four Tingle brothers, and like, it, I just, I just like that. It's like, yeah, okay, we're gonna name this after something, and we're not gonna concern ourselves with with why it's called that or how it's called that, um, or whatever. And maybe this is like a weird thing to put down, but like, as I feel like a lot of times, like as much as I do want an explanation for a lot of things, I've harped on malice for forever and ever and ever at the same time i also do feel like some things don't necessarily need an explanation so like you know i don't need to know why the arbiter's grounds is in breath of the wild but also in twilight princess when there were no rito and twilight princess and and, you know what i mean like i just like that we can have things that are callbacks and homages and they can just be instead of like having to make this convoluted reason of why they're there so i i feel like this is probably not on a single other person's list but i do like this i agree callbacks is probably one of my favorite thing in uh, things in any media books movies tv uh video games you know uh i'm one of those people that gets really into the marvel and star wars you know every uh boba fett episode that i'm watching every week right now i see something from the mandalorian or i see something from the prequels or whatever and i'm like oh that's really cool i really like that that is there i don't need to have a reason why it's there i just like that it is you know what i mean so i totally get that feeling with zelda and how breath of the wild did that and you would go into the zora era area and find like miko's pond or whatever the heck you know it's just fun you don't need you don't need an explanation for it. It's just cool to be like, oh, hey, that's cool. That's like after that guy from Majora's Mask. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally. love that. I didn't put it on my list, but I love it. Uh, and, I, and I almost, it's like, it's not a trope. It's just a thing that Zelda does, yeah. which, which I like, right? Like, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes in our community, some people get caught up on, like, explaining how this is possible and that's possible and timelines and pie charts and algorithms and, like, they're, they're trying to use the Pythagorean theory to find out where Breath of the Wild falls <laughs> on the timeline. It's like, dude, just whatever, man. Let's just let it be, right? Exactly. Like, so I, I like that. Yeah, I get it. I, I do I do also like, you know, debating things about the timeline and that kind of stuff and actually having real lore behind it. But I, I also get the aspect where you're just like, that's a cool callback. Neat. Good job. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, let's go with, let's go with, um, my last, uh, I shouldn't say last, before my honorable mentions, my last positive top five here. Um, I really like, 
I called this the golden trio. I really like stories that are about like a set of characters. So in this example, Link, Zelda, and Ganon, you know, that's being mm-hmm. kind of repre- repetitive in a way um, throughout the series, but done in different ways throughout each game. Um, I like it when they kind of deter from them a little bit. So like Termina, for example, you get away from Zelda, you get away from Ganon. That's always a nice break. But I like that you always come back to it because that's who this legend is about, Link, Zelda, and Ganon. You know, and their eternal struggle against each other and their pieces of the Triforce. I just, I really like that. Um, I know that people want to kind of get move away from Ganon and Ganondorf, but I'll always be happy to see him come back. So for Breath of the Wild 2, that corpse, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm down. Let's bring back Ganondorf. I really want to see him in this uh, Breath of the Wild environment. I'm I'm super excited about that. So it's just something I really love about uh, this game and other storytelling that has like you know the the main three that struggle against each other throughout the series. It just I really like that. Yeah, I th- I think so. I think that's it's kind of like a a faded meant to be kind of thing like Destiny, which I feel yeah. like uh, is a theme that you know Zelda plays into a lot. I'll, I'll never forget the first time that like Link left uh, Kokiri Forest and left Soraya behind and was just like, and then at the end of the Forest Temple, it's like she'll always be your friend, and it's it always made me feel sad because like you know they. They were two people that really should have been together, but Destiny was just like, nope, you you can't. So mm-hmm. I think that's a good theme in Zelda, um, just in general. Like, Destiny kind of fading the the three people and intertwining them together, no matter how much they maybe don't want to be intertwined. So yeah, I'm actually, I'm surprised I didn't put that on my list. That's a great one. Yeah. Reincarnation, too, is, is another big theme that we haven't yep. talked about that uh, also is, is pretty heavy in Zelda. So yeah. Uh, okay, last one on my list. This is a this is a negative, but I almost feel like a goof just saying it because I, I was trying to picture how I wanted to say this and like I feel like I still don't have the, the right words, but here I go. Um, I don't love that when you're in a dungeon and you fight a mini boss, that the mini boss almost always holds the dungeon item behind it. And I and I don't love that because like let me try and explain here. I do like fighting a mini boss and I do like having a dungeon item and I like finding the dungeon item in the dungeon, but there's something, maybe it's just that we've seen it too much where like you go fight the mini boss and like you get the dungeon item immediately after in a treasure chest or something like that. I just, sometimes I feel like we can think of like more creative ways to get like a dungeon item other than beating a boss and, and just like picking up the, the item in a chest. Um, one one instance that I was thinking of as a good example of this, which is funny because you literally fight uh, a mini boss, which is something I'm just complaining about. But when you fight the um, the mini boss in in uh, Snow Peak Ruins, and he drops the ball and chain after, and you pick it up, I'm like, okay, well that's kind of cool because that's it's a little bit different. You're using his weapon now for yourself rather than yeah. like you've just beat this thing, and there happens to be a uh, you know, a ball and chain sitting in a treasure chest in the next room. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Not that I don't like fighting a mini boss, but like, I feel like there's got to be more creative ways to get that dungeon item a lot of times and just like fighting something, picking it up out of a chest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get, I kind of get what you're saying. And I mean, it'd be interesting to see what they do with that going forward with Zelda, because I don't even know how Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be, if we're even going to get back dungeons, if we're even going to, if, 
you know, many bosses right. in Breath of the Wild were all the Hinoxes and Taluses and whatnot. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that gets brought back to the series and or even if it does at all. Right. If. Yeah. If. Okay. Well, I, I think I think I found what I was trying to say along the way, but I, I was trying to yeah. I was trying to word that. And I was like, oh, I feel like I sound like a like a goof. Like, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what I want here, but that that's what I want. Creative ways to get the dungeon items. There we go. Gotcha. All, all right. right, hit us well, with your with your final ones and your honorable mentions here, because I'm all out. That's it. Yeah, let's. I'll just run through my honorable mentions really quick. So for top five favorite, uh, whatever trope chic is, I like it. I <laughs> I want that to return. Whatever it is that you're just like, oh cool, this person's kind of fighting alongside me. Oh wow, it turns out it's Princess Zelda. I love it. And um, the trusty steed trope. I love Epona. I love your oh yeah that you get. So that I feel just needs to continue throughout the series and then my least favorite i said this one's low-hanging fruit damsel in distress um they've been moving away from that in recent zelda but in past zelda it just gets really kind of obnoxious where you're like i just have to go save zelda again and then uh repetitive long-winded travel um you know you're sailing through the ocean i wish they had more uh fast travel warp points right. or um the sky in uh skyward sword i wish that you were able to fast travel between the different points of the surface rather than go up to the sky and then go back down a different portal you know what i mean like yeah. if it's if, if you get to a certain point in the game where it you just don't need that anymore i'd really like them to work better on that going forward yeah i i agree i especially agree actually with the damsel in distress i maybe i just blocked that one out from my mind because i i didn't put that on <laughs> mine but i I agree. That's just, it's so done. It's so, it's so tired. That just needs to go it's away. It's a little, it's a little different lately. Like Zelda in Breath of the Wild, she's obviously doing her part in the fight. So it's not right. like, it's not like, oh, she's captured and not doing anything. It's just, she's fighting and you have to go help. Or Skyward yeah. Sword Zelda where you're like, I need to go down to the surface and save her when she's all, she's off. She's like, fine. She's off doing her own thing. You know what I mean? So like, it's getting better. And I wanted to continue to get better. Yeah, like I, I, like I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm fine. Like, help having to help out Zelda. I feel like is very different than having to rescue Zelda. And I feel like in Breath of the Wild and Skyward Sword, you're helping Zelda achieve yeah. what she needs to achieve. Whereas, you know, in in some other games, you know, a lot of the older games, uh, but even Ocarina yeah. of Time, like she gets captured immediately after being like this ass kicker all game in Sheik. So yeah, yeah. And, and it's like. It's as soon as she transforms into Zelda too. It's just like, all right, well, she's captured, which is kind of yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> it's just annoying. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I agree with that. And I think that's another one that I, I think it's probably reared its ugly head for the last time. I, I don't think I that we're so. going to see that a ton yeah. anymore. Uh, but there we go. Um, all right. Well, that was, uh, that was our list. We would love to know, what your guys's lists are uh i'm i'm impressed here al i thought that we might burn through a lot of this stuff uh pretty quickly but i think that we made a good run at it yeah i think so i'd be uh i'd be excited to see what which of these on our list like return for breath of the wild 2 or what new stuff comes up that we're like yes this has to be a norm going forward yeah totally um so yeah let us know what you have on your list uh, there's obviously a ton of different stuff here and, and some of the ones that i didn't have on my list as soon as i heard them i was like oh yeah of course so uh, i'm sure that there's there's going to be those for both of us that we 
either like or don't like that we may have missed. So let us know over on Twitter, over on Discord. Uh, you can check us out at Spateri316 and at Allison Letha. Uh, February 13th is the day. The Omega Metroid Podcast versus the Champions Cast in Metroid and Zelda Trivia. That is going down for episode 100 and 200 of the podcast. So make sure that you're joining us on the Champions Cast Twitch. And make sure that you are following us wherever you get your podcasts. Over on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, you know the drill. Like and subscribe. Recommend us to that Zelda fan in your life. That is it, everybody. We will see you all next week. Take care. <laughs>